Welcome to the 145th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me, as always, is Roger Antner. How you doing, Roger? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So, Roger, we, we talk about owner's economics in terms of operating a wireless network on the podcast quite a bit. We got into it last week about this, and I thought it'd be helpful and instructive for the audience to to really kind of blow this up a little bit and, and talk about kind of what we mean when we say owner's economics. And there's actually different facets of owner's economics based on different types of relationships and, and providers. So I'll start with that. You want to kind of give us your your perspective on this, and then maybe we could pick a few examples and, and talk through those. Well, yeah, and, and sometimes owner economics are not are not great, right? So when you're a network operator, you are building a network and you're operating the network, which is a high fixed cost network. To put additional customers on it, like the, the marginal cost of adding a customer is near zero, right? Once you've built the network. Once you build the network. And when you look at how much does it cost to operate a network, the MNOs let us calculate that. And it's about a billion dollar a month to run a network the size of Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T. That's roughly the, the ballpark figure here. And because you have your channel cards and they always run with full power. Because when they're on, they're on. And when they're off, they're off. But the cost of the channel card doesn't matter if it's on or off, but that's a one-time cost. Now and then the carriers are shutting off channels in the middle of the night because nobody's on. When nobody's home, you can turn off the lights, right? And so they save power with that, but it's not like millions and millions of dollars that the power bill here is because the biggest bill that a mobile operator writes is actually the power bill, right? They're turning electricity into money. But then we still have like significant cost differences, right? You know, we we follow the cost of of how much it costs for them to generate the average gigabyte. And that's somewhere between like 30 to 50 cents when you load in all of the cost, right? And that number has been coming down over time, correct? Oh, dramatically. Yeah. Dramatically. When, you know, if it's today, like in the 30 to 50 cent range, five years ago, that was like in the 170 to 240 range to, to manufacture the average gigabyte, not the marginal gigabyte, the average, right? The average is you take all the gigabytes that they manufacture divided over the cost. The marginal cost is cent or something like that. So that's like the logic behind T-Mobile and Verizon loading this up with FWA because they've built the network, the capacity is there. If nobody uses it, it just costs the same amount of money. So if they load even a high-usage home internet customer that uses 300 gigabytes instead of 15 to 30 gigabytes, they still make money because the cost is the same, right? They turn off 
the ability for FWA to be available on a cell when they reach a place where they think capacity is not going to be there, right? So they're not they're not building out the network to, to co- incorporate FWA. They're taking the existing network and provisioning it such that FWA doesn't impact capacity. Yeah, and when I did the math on it, you know, Verizon said like, oh, four to five million customers and T-Mobile, seven to eight million customers. When you look at the network capacity in aggregate, right? And we did some math around that. The five to eight million customers on the mobility network for FWA, that's roughly what that network with a with a normal build out pace can accommodate. They all said they will do this by 2025, right? And if they go at the pace of fourth quarter 22, that's exactly when they will hit the five to eight million. T-Mobile will hit it a little bit earlier, you know, in tradition of their beat and raise type thing. But after 2025 and five to eight million FWA customers, that model of idle capacity has run its race, right? Suddenly, after that, you have used up the idle capacity. And then the question becomes, does it make sense to split cells and do all of these things? Well, get more spectrum, split cells, right? I mean, it also casts some doubt on, you know, we talk about what is the new use case for 5G if there's not any capacity left after, you know, FWA rollouts, and that becomes a problem as well, correct? But that's 12 million home internet users that they taken away from somebody else, right? Or that they stimulated people who never had it before to take it. 12 million FWA customers is more than what they had five years ago, right? 12 million more. That's still a ton of revenue that really hurt the cable guys, just like the cable guys are hurting the wireless guys with how successful they are in wireless, right? But all of this is based on a, a loaded network. Right. So so that's a loaded MNO network, right? Let's let's talk about some other business models, right? There's MVNOs and then the MSOs are also kind of having a, a hybrid relationship, right? So which of those do you want to tackle? Well, first I want to tackle the guy who has who is a network operator and who has an empty network. You still are paying like this, maybe you're not paying a billion dollars to operate your network, but you're still running a $5 billion bill to run that network. It's a smaller network, you know, all of these things. Even if it's $3 billion, $3 billion to, you better get 10, 20, 30 million customers. Otherwise, your cost is high. And I would say it will be, you know, up until Dish has like 10 million customers on its own network, it will probably be cheaper for them to buy it from AT&T and Verizon through their MVNO relationship than to make it themselves on the average cost basis, right? And in a way, what, what Dish has missed over the last couple of years is to add customers 
on the MVNO network where they still make profit on it, right? Maybe not that much, but then to migrate them over onto their own Genesis network. Because now they, they still have to do that just like fewer customers. And that, that brings us to the other end of being an MVNO. Right, but hasn't Dish said publicly that they think the the cost of, of operating a cloud-native network is one-tenth of what what the traditional carrier network's operating costs would be? I have a hard time believe it's one-tenth, right? Because when you look at the publicly stated numbers, and you can calculate the cost to serve a customer for Verizon and T-Mobile very easily through their, their financials. That's somewhere in the 7 to $9 range. I would say if it's one-tenth, then that's 5 $6 cheaper. If it's half, it's like $3 cheaper. Right. But I mean, I guess my point is that there's there's a variable and a fixed part of this equation, right? Like the fixed part is standing up the network and operating it and running it in the middle of the night when nobody's there, et cetera. And the variable part is largely, it's a step-up function. Right, right. And so I think it's an important part. I mean, I think, and, I, and to your point, I, I think it's wait and see on some of the dish part. But I think their core argument is that the economics for what the network they're standing up is are similar but different, right? And we're still waiting with it, with it, however however many subs they have now on their Genesis network, it's not it doesn't matter. They're not making money on it, right? But the question is, when do they hit that? Right, and the one tenth means on a loaded network. On an empty network, you're still more expensive, right? Because the channel has to be on. If there's no person on it, or one person on it, or if there are a thousand people on that cell, right? And it doesn't matter, right? But then that brings us to the MVNO model, which is low fixed cost, relatively high variable cost, right? And when you look at it, you know, there are a range of prices out there that you can get all the way up to like $4. If you're a really small carrier, uh, MVNO, and you're not getting a good deal, that's about 4 bucks a gig. And then it goes down from there. And it depends on how large you are and and how well you can, can negotiate and what your, your position is. It goes down. But the, the idea there is there's some elasticity in terms of what you can buy service for, but there's a floor. The owner's economics, the floor is much lower from an operating cost than, than a, as an MVNO. Right. But the marginal cost for an MNO is zero. For the MVNO, there's almost always a cost. And that's why MVNOs are ill-suited to offer unlimited service. Because some people are using 150 gigabytes. And that ruins your business model, right? No unlimited is truly unlimited. I mean, I know when when we were working in Nielsen together, we were looking at this. You know, you, you could calculate that like an unlimited voice customer would use... 1800 minutes per month back this is way back in the day and if you can make the model work with 1800 minutes of usage if you're paying by the minute as an mvno then you could do it right and the same thing is true for data the problem is that data is a fast moving target and that a high-end data user two years ago was using 40 50 gigabytes and now they're using 150 200 right and so 
your, your economics change over time as people's usage pattern changes. You know, the average is like 12 to 18 of an, of an unlimited customer. So, Roger, there's the relationship between you know Verizon and, and the MSOs in terms of using the core network. But then there's also spectrum that these these entities have, have purchased for their own use, right? CBRS and Comcast case of 600 megahertz. Tell us how that works. Well, they they bought their spectrum and they're they're trialing CBRS and they're trialing 600 megahertz and they want to supplement their relationship with their own network and create like a hybrid MVNO. And you know they're smart guys and and girls. And so they're probably going to put their own network in the places where there's the most traffic, right? It's the most cost-effective way for them to get coverage and traffic and move things off. And they said, like, publicly that they want to put about 30% of the traffic onto their own network. And so they will probably build out the urban areas and leave suburbia and rural to run on, on Verizon which is more expensive to, to cover because you have fewer sites and a lot fewer traffic. And what happens if you're out of footprint, like if you're a charter sub, and but you're outside of the charter footprint, would they, would they roam on the Verizon network as well? So is this more of like another regional play? They always are on the Verizon network. But Comcast and Charter have now opened their Wi-Fi networks for each other, and I would expect them probably to do the same for their respective CBRS networks. And, you know, we talk about it a lot. And then there's there's Wi-Fi. And the cable companies are very good in putting their mobile traffic onto their Wi-Fi networks. Charters on the record saying that 92% of all of their traffic over a handset goes over their Wi-Fi. And they're, therefore, is subject to their own owner's neck and economics, right, in terms of... Exactly. It's their own owner economics that they have on their cable. And so it's a lot of it, as you pointed out, on their home Wi-Fi, but they also have, like, outdoor Wi-Fi. Right. So the idea is they almost have, like a, it's almost like a mesh Wi-Fi network of sorts where you can do your Wi-Fi calling and, and so forth, as long as you're, you know within range of a Wi-Fi hotspot, which is, you know, I know in my neighborhood, I live in a Comcast neighborhood, I can pick up seven or eight different Comcast routers just from my house, right? There's enough concentration that if I were on, you know, the Comcast network, I probably would never have to get onto Verizon's network if I was, you know, walking around the neighborhood. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so unless you go to a park or on a highway and things like that. So it's really a kind of three-tiered model, right? So like, you know, your device is sitting a large portion of the time on probably on a home or a work Wi-Fi network. Then after that, it would kind of tear down to theoretically MSO-owned spectrum, like a CBRS or 600 megahertz. And then the, the network of last resort, so to speak, or if you're out in a less populated area, it falls back to the Verizon network. Yeah, and so in a way, cable has near MNO mobile economics, right? Or will have it when they have actually built out their CBRS network. Without having to spend, you know, $47 billion on C-band or $24 billion on C-band, right? 
Yeah, it's a very, very clever model, right? Which makes them such a valiant and and smart competitor. It also allows them to sell wireless service for very inexpensive prices, right? Yeah. Well, that's how they go to market. We give you wireless and home internet for the same price that the MNOs give you give you wireless. It's a challenging business proposition for, for anybody who goes up against them. Well, and the prioritization issues that people talk about with with you know not being on the home network or whatever are, are not something you're subject to if you're on that, you know, MSO owned spectrum or or Wi-Fi network, right? And so for folks that say, oh, well, you know, if you're on, you know, Comcast or, or Charter or Xfinity or Charter, I should say, you know, you're not getting the same priority as as Verizon direct customers. Well, probably you're getting the same level of prioritization, you know, on your home network, right? Which you're on most of the time. When you do the tests, you see that Comcast is buying QCI 9, which is the unprioritized data. And Charter buys QCI 8, which is the prioritized data, which is an interesting difference in strategy. So the Charter customers have the same priority as the premium Verizon customers at a fraction of the cost. That's how they're eating into this, right? It ties all back to economics. Yep. Super interesting. And um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see as the... MSOs build out those you know, hybrid networks that go beyond their existing Wi-Fi footprint. It'll be interesting to see how aggressive they can really get when they get even more in our owners and economics. So we'll keep an eye on it. Thanks, Roger. Thank you. See you next week.